Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, if you are here, you are in the Discipleship 101 track. And you, you found your way. Thanks for being here. My name is Dave Royce. I, I know most of you, perhaps some of you, not all of you as well as I'd like. Um, so let's see, I live over in the Allentown area, but I work primarily with the Berks Team Schools, which means I spend a lot of time at Kutztown. You're right, okay. <laughs> they're so predictable, you know, every time you say that. They're just, they're very, I don't know if they've trained me or I've trained them, right? So I spend a lot of time at Kutztown. Okay, they didn't do it that time. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work, okay. Um, and several other schools as well I know are here. Albright, Albright's in the house, right? You guys, right? You were almost as loud as them. That was, that was fun. Um, and then I know many other schools are with us. So let's see. We got Wilkes, right? Brayton, are you the only Wilkes representative in this track, right? In this one. So last year I met Brayton because he was the only person from his school here. And now there are three of you, right? So that's some kind of 300% growth, right? <laughs> Good job. Yeah. And there are any other tracks I'd imagine. Well, okay, let me, I know there are other schools here that I'm missing. So hypothetically, Bloomsburg, I know, is here as well. <laughs> are you guys the loud school in the dining room? Okay, is that you guys? All right, well, I appreciate the enthusiasm that you bring. Um, there are many others. Let's see, is, who else is in the house? Raise your hand and tell me what other schools are here. DeSales is here. How many of you are here? Did you? Okay, okay, Caitlin. Cedarcrest, DeSales, Lafayette is here, no? Oh, okay, we'll have a sad moment for Lafayette, I apologize, okay, go ahead. Any Alvernia people here? Wait, did you say Alvernia? Ben, you're from Alvernia. Okay, so any Alvernia people here? Okay, hooray, Alvernia, we can all hear Alvernia. I'm forgetting a bunch. What school are you guys from? Yeah, all right. How do you feel about the SUS abbreviation? Is that okay? Okay, it's all right. Lancasterish schools, where are you at? Yeah? What's that? Lebanon Valley. Are you the only one in this track from LVC? Really? Wow, glad that you could be here. Who's behind you there? You guys are... Hi, Muhlenberg. How are you? Yeah, nice to see you guys. I used to spend a lot of time at Muhlenberg. I was Zach's staff worker. Can you believe that? And Clint, who's in front of you which just means I'm old. He's a Muhlenberg grad, isn't that weird? <clears throat> anyway, here's a couple of housekeeping things for the week. Um, you're gonna need this packet. We're gonna be on page 56 and page 57 uh, to begin, okay? Um, the other housekeeping thing is that I'm very, very happy if you interact with me in the track. That's sort of how the track functions best. So these aren't uh, lecture style, strictly speaking, and I know it's a big room with a lot of people, you could just stick your hand up, and, I'll like, and we're not going to use microphones or anything, even though it's recorded. You can offer thoughts at any point in time, okay? That's the first housekeeping thing. The second housekeeping thing is, at times, I'm going to ask you not only to talk to me and to participate this way, but likely to talk to the people around you, which means you have to be okay with the people you're sitting next to talking to them, all right? So if you're just deeply terrified by the person who you're sitting next to, now is a really good time or a really bad time <laughs> to get up and relocate. Uh, I don't know how to make that any less awkward, but we're just gonna lean into that, all right? So if you uh, are super uncomfortable just saying hello to the person next to you, then that's, that, that's gonna be a, be a problem. There are gonna be times where I'm gonna throw it to you to, to discuss in groups, okay? So... 
any other housekeeping things here as well? You're going to see Lincoln up. He'll be helping out tomorrow with other sessions and stuff like that. But again, we're on page 55 and page 56. Excuse me, page 56 and 57, just, just as we begin. We're here to talk about discipleship. Um, and maybe I could give you an example of what I mean by we're going to be doing that. We're going to be talking about Discipleship 101. And I think um, the, because of that, I, I want to hold out for you in this first session a picture of what you're being invited into. Here, here's, here, here's what I mean. Um, this past winter, I took a, a really fun vacation with my family. We took our children on probably our fanciest vacation we've spent uh, time uh, in a long time. Uh, anyway, we try to keep it a secret from our children because they tend to find out and then it, they kind of really kind of become obsessed with it. You, you know, my kids are here with this week with me. Anyway, one of them, I don't know how, she figured out that we were going on this really cool epic vacation. And so I watched her face kind of, the, the, the gears started turning and it started to click. Oh, you guys are planning something, aren't you? And she heard about it and here's what happened. As she figured it out and her face lit up, she ran to the other kids. And without any scripting or prompting from me, she said, do you guys know? Like, have you guys heard? And one by one, they're like, heard what? Oh, did you hear? Mom and dad are planning this thing, right? And, and one by one, the sound of hope, like it was like a domino effect that went through my house. They all kind of had their, the sound of hope and their eyes lit up and they said, what? Is that true? Let's go, right? <laughs> you, know, you know that phrase, let's go. And this is great. I've heard it and I've, I've gotten that. And, and it's the sound of, I think, hope and the sound of, a, of, of something that is exciting, that is in front, that is clicking, Right? That's the ripple effect that went through my home recently. And I thought of that as I, as, I, as I prayed and began preparation for this track because truly that experience, that trickle-down effect of delight and eyes being opened, it is my desire that you will have that experience this week sitting in this track. We call it DM University, not because we want to be boring or because I'm the dean of anything. But in my experience, most people think that the exciting part of the gospel is for non-Christians. In my experience, most people think that the, the delight or the, quote, the good news, good news, have you heard? Have you heard? Let's go is for people who do not know Jesus. But yet when you maybe become a believer or, and you've settled into the rhythm of growth in Christ or something like that, it is my observation. I think many Christians settle into what I would call a somewhat of a coasting cruise control of boring. But brothers and sisters, we are here for two days and we're going to talk about, quote, discipleship. I know that's like Christian lingo or buzzword, but you know how a moment ago when I said the name of your school and some of you couldn't even naturally contain yourself, there's like a, yeah, right, that's my school. Hardly ever you say Christian discipleship and people go, yeah, let's go, right? Well, the best way I can introduce you to what we're going to talk about is to say that, friends, do you know there is a delightful vision that God has set before you if you are in Christ Jesus. There is a, there's a, a phenomenal, tremendous thing that is happening in our world today. It is sweeping across planet Earth. And our news media does not always, hmm, let's say ever, capture this reality. You know what it is? 
It is that the Spirit of God is working in people and the Holy Spirit is working through people. That's discipleship. That's how to demystify that buzzword. So the title of this first section is called Discipleship, AKA, but also, do you know? Do, do you know about this thing called discipleship? Let's demystify it. This is uh, Discipleship 101. And on page 56, you're going to see two passages of Scripture. I'd like to primarily anchor our introduction in these in Galatians 5 and Galatians 6, if you could follow along while I read it, we're going to talk about these. There's also an outline that you're going to need very soon on page 57. Page 56, Galatians 5, it says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, so let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's call time out right there. This is um, like picking up a conversation that's already in progress because we read from the book of Galatians and we're sort of in the middle of it here. Real quick, the context of Galatians is that Paul is writing this letter and the occasion of it is that people are being tempted to put their hope and their trust in outward activity. So the occasion of this letter is to say, don't ruin the gospel by trusting in this outward sign of circumcision. That's primarily the occasion and the context that you need to know. So I want to call your attention to verse 13 where Paul has said that brothers and sisters that you are called, you're called to freedom. In verse 16, he also says, walk by the Spirit. If you understand what, what he's trying to say here, is he's saying that freedom, Christian freedom, the true picture of freedom in Christ is walking in the interests of the Holy Spirit. Does everybody see that? He's saying you're called to freedom, not to submit to legalism and circumcision. You're called to freedom. Therefore, freedom, he is saying, is walking, not you do you or you do whatever you want. That's perhaps an American definition of freedom. And what we have here is a Christian picture of freedom, which is to increasingly walk in the interests of what God, the Holy Spirit, is interested in doing in your life. Does everybody see that in this passage? We could call that the main point of, of Paul's argument here, the main thrust of what he's trying to say. Don't submit to legalism. Walk by the Holy Spirit. 
On page 57, I've also put a famous quote from Matthew 28. This is how Jesus describes discipleship or the Great Commission. Jesus says that the interests of the Holy Spirit are this, go and make disciples of all nations. And right at the end, it says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there again, we see the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's my question. We're going to do a little bit of theologizing. What is the Spirit of God interested in, in a Christian community? We're here at Focus. You have fellowships on campus. You have home churches. What is a community that is actually marked by freedom and the interests of God, the Holy Spirit? My proposition to you in this opening session is that the Spirit is interested in what we call, quote, discipleship. And here in Galatians, you have an explanation of what that is. The word disciple means a learner or a devoted person or a follower. So here, how can we demystify discipleship? It's on page 57. There are two parts to this talk. Number one, the Spirit is interested in God's work in you. And number two, the Spirit is interested in God's work through you. We're going to take those one at a time. Follow along here. Number one, the Spirit of God is interested in God's work in you. And in a sense, that's what Christians sometimes mean when they talk about discipleship. This is in verse 16. Look back at it with me. It says, again, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So very clearly here, notice that Paul, the author, has set up a contrast. He's to put two ideas that are actually in opposition to one another. It's the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh, you could think of the flesh if you underline that word in your packets. How could I demystify that or explain that? The flesh is you doing anything and everything that comes natural to your non-Christian self. That's the flesh. It's the impulsivity of warring against God. It is you do you. 100% in a non-Christian way. That's the flesh. And what does the flesh look like? Well, Paul lists a few of its favorite things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Do you see this list? It's kind of scary. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of drunken. Okay. And we can easily locate ourselves in that list. And perhaps you would agree with me that you can easily locate our world in that list. Because the flesh is the formation engine of planet earth doing whatever I want thank you very much don't you dare tell me how to live my life is the banner of the flesh it is the pinnacle of you do you no thank you very much God but in contrast to that do you see Paul has said I put this on your sheet that in contrast to the acts of the flesh the spirit bears fruit did you see that? There's a thing that's going down on planet Earth by the power of God. And it is that the Spirit of God right now in the lives of Christians, this does not apply to non-Christians, in the lives of non-Christians, the Spirit of God is bearing fruit. It's right here in this text. Fruit is in contrast to an activity. Fruit is in contrast to quick and easy. This is what God is interested in doing. 
Let me give you an illustration. Uh, does anybody here have Amazon Prime? I love it. I have Amazon. I love Amazon Prime. In my area, I recently noticed that there are certain items that Amazon Prime not only does overnight next day delivery, I saw a little check mark on Amazon recently that said same day delivery. I don't even know how they do that, but man, let me tell you, I love Amazon Prime because I pay like a fee, I go online, I open an app and I click and it just shows up at my door. And there's this weird thing that I've noticed in my life because of that, right? Amazon, that's sort of a new thing, but I've gotten to the point now in life where like I'll order something and then the next day I'm like, where's my Amazon pack? And it doesn't come. I'm like, what? Can you believe this? This is an outrage, right? Come on. Like it's like one, it's like two hours late or like 24 hours late. And I'm like, oh, life is just, you know, broken. The nerve of these people, right? I've gotten used to that. I've gotten accustomed to that. It's the quickness, it's the overnight, it's the instantaneousness of it, let alone things like Instagram and what have you. And see, because of that, I've just grown accustomed to Amazon Prime, like streaming on demand, all those things that I really, really love. Because of that, I can actually miss what Paul is saying here. Because of that, I can actually miss the real deal that is going on around the world. You see the content? An activity of the flesh is quick. That's supposed to happen easy. But the fruit of the Spirit is something that is cultivated. Like flesh is something that is natural and Spirit is something that is supernatural. So what is the thing that God is doing around the world that we should get on board with? What is the foundation and the backbone of discipleship? It's not instant same-day delivery. Because fruit takes time. What God is doing is a supernatural cultivation in people, which is why if you've been around disciple makers, perhaps you've seen that little picture of a tree that I also put on your outline. What is happening in the life of a Christian is remarkable. It's not throw the light switch and change your behavior. It's not tomorrow, you know, you pray a prayer and you just stop all the bad things and start all the good things. No, there's this cultivation effort that's happening. There's this process of being planted. This is the whole point of the tree, being planted in soil that you draw nourishment from the cross and the grace of God. And that grows up into your life over time and it produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the tree diagram, if you've ever heard that or if your staff worker has ever showed that to you before. And verse 22 says the fruit that we bear over time in our lives as we drink from the grace of God, wherever uniquely he has put us, are things like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? That word fruit there in the original language, by the way, is singular. So the fruit of the Spirit is not a buffet for you to choose which one you're good at, right? Okay. The fruit of the Spirit here is a single fruit or a cluster of character traits that accompany people who are indwelt by God. But in my experience, see, here's why this is important. I think many Christians more gravitate toward being excited about people's giftings. Or they're really, really excited about people's status. Maybe an example of that would be, oh, that past is just such a good speaker, right? That Christian is so talented. They're such a wonderful singer. And, and all of those things are wonderful things. But friends, do you know? 
Are you anchored? Do you, do you have your eyes been lit up to what God is doing in, in the world? This letter is actually written against trusting in outward activity. But there is this other thing. It's not celebrity status. It's not outward appearance or even giftedness. It's this internal transformation effort. Things like maybe in your life you recognize that you love God more now than you did three years ago. If you're in that camp, man, do you know? That's a supernatural and a remarkable thing. Maybe you're here and you are more patient today than you were in high school. Remember high school? Sorry to bring up a painful memory, okay? We can talk about middle school if you want. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not because you're smart. Or when you wanted to lash out or get angry or get drunk and you felt and sensed the impulse of the flesh and you said, that is not me anymore. I'm a different person. No, thank you. Friends, that is God's work in you. It's the marvelous thing that is happening. It's this invisible transformation that you and I should get used to saying, praise God, because something's going on and God's not done with me yet. You see that? That's God's work in you. And in a way, we do call that discipleship. We call that spiritual formation. We call that leading by example. The fruit of the Spirit are the tools in some ways that will actually make disciples. So you can't make a disciple unless you, well, start to act like one. That's the first half of what God is doing. God is working in you. Now here's part two, real quick. Let's talk about this. Second half of this message is also going to say, by discipleship, often we mean God's work through you through you, through you to other people. And I want you to look and see this happening in Galatians 6. This is immediately following. Look where Paul goes next. Check it out. Everybody follow along on page 56. Paul writes now in chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that means sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith." Okay, maybe you're getting a little sleepy. I want you to talk to the person next to you. Remember, I said this was coming. And I want you to um, discuss with them, how do you see the Spirit at work through people? Do you understand what I'm asking? Where do you see in Galatians 6, God using people in the work of another person? Just spend like a couple of minutes and then I'll bring us back together, okay? Again, make friends with the person next to you. How do you see God at work through people in a community? Ready? And then you have only about two minutes. Go.
All right, here's what I want to call your attention to. In Galatians 6, right after Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in a community, I think he here talks about the fruit through people, right? Um, I want to call your attention to a repeated word in Galatians 5 and 6. You see this idea of one another. One another. That's important because you need somebody to be kind towards. And you need somebody else to be gentle with. You can't. This is not a solo project. So what did you guys talk about? If you'd be so, you know, we could just share together real quickly. What verses point to the spirit at work through people? What did you guys notice as you talked together? All right, while you're writing things down, on page 57, do you see those four blanks? I'm going to give you all four, and then we're going to run through them real quick. You write, write down all four of these things. I'm getting these from Galatians 6. I'm putting them all together from what you're saying. Here's what Galatians 6, I believe, is signaling to us. God's work through you, number one, is gentle restoration of others. God's work through you will mean gentle restoration of others. Number two, at times, it will mean bearing the burdens of others, but not enabling them. If you could write these in, that's number two. I'll repeat them. Number three, discipleship. God's work through you is an understanding of sowing and reaping. Number four, God's work through you is considering our season. We make spiritual investments or we do spiritual good. Let me repeat those. Let me take it from the top. Number one, gentle restoration of others. Gentle restoration of others. Number two, bearing the burdens of others but not enabling them. Number three, understanding of sowing and reaping. An understanding of sowing and reaping. And number four, considering our season, we make spiritual investments or we do people spiritual good. Let me take you through those one at a time. Look, right after saying that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, who is gentleness being directed towards? Galatians 6, well, gentleness immediately finds its direction towards other Christians when they sin. That's a fascinating thing, I think. That the Spirit of God brings about a community where people love God such that they speak the truth of God to one another. Not in a way that is harsh or disrespectful or argumentative or make my point or what's wrong with you. No. <laughs> that Christians are called to open up their mouths and let the truth of God happen in gentleness towards one another. This is a thing. It's gentle restoration of other people. Uh, there's a theologian, R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul. He once said, once in an interview, that he wanted to write a book that he never got to write. Uh, this guy said he wanted to write a book called The Myth of Influence. I'm like, that's a prov provocative title. What do you mean? And he said, in, in his observation as a theologian, he says that a lot of Christians, they don't speak up the truth. They don't say what's true because they're trying to win an occasion to say what's true. And he's saying that's a myth. He's saying that there are many people in the hopes that they, in the hopes that they don't say what's true, in the hopes that by not saying what's true, they'll earn the respect to say what's true. And he's saying that's kind of wacky. At some point, in gentleness, you need to just say what's true. And there are people who are on that one extreme of, I'm never going to say anything to ever disagree with another human. That's one extreme. Here's the other extreme. The other extreme is in an age of expressive individualism, um, 
The other extreme is that people will aggressively tell everybody else how wrong they are all the time and being quarrelsome and argumentative, right? So one extreme is, can't do anything because let's let them do themselves and I'll do me over here. The other extreme is, I am always outraged by other people's mistakes and I have to speak everything in an unfiltered way that comes into my mind. And does everybody see here that the Spirit of God seeks neither of those things? Does everybody see that? The Spirit of God here, look at verse 1, it says Christians have a sympathetic, gentle speaking of the Word of God with the desire to restore. So if you are on the outrage end of life, if you tend to be that personality, I want you to notice and underline the word gentle. If you're on the never disagree with anyone, you need to perhaps underline the word restore. God will call you to disagree. That's implied by the word restore. Number two, we have to bear the burdens of others without enabling them. We have to bear the burdens of other people, but not enabling them. Okay, could somebody read or look with me again at verse two? Verse two, verse two says we have to bear one another. All right, let's do this. Stephen, can I pick on you? Read verse two really loudly. Okay, um, somebody over here. Could somebody read verse, uh, verse 5? Go ahead, Genevieve. Uh, for each will have to bear. Okay, hang on a minute. Stephen, read verse, three, verse 2 again, really loudly. Everybody look at this. Genevieve. Wait, what just happened? Here's what happened. Those two things fit together perfectly. What I believe the scripture is inclining us to see here is that, script, that Christians have to encourage one another. Discipleship means that they listen. And, 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 and caring for someone's spiritual good means that you have to serve practically to help people carry burdens that, and sadness and sorrow that they feel in this, in this fallen world. And you have to listen and, and carry the burdens of other people and understand what is their experience like and how are you doing? That's what the question means. Bear one another's burdens. And yet, there's a sense as well where each of us still have agency and have to bear our own burden before the Lord. And this is tremendously important. What that means is we, we burden, carry, we help people, but we can't enable people. It's a both and. And this is a very difficult thing to get. This is tremendously important because some personalities, inevitably, some little people will think that ministry is telling people what's true and then avoid them and be distant sort of a cold truth speaker kind of thing. Other people think that serving God means we got to spend all of our time with people and they're become my person, you know, and I'm just sort of intertwined and enmeshed with them and our lives are just so fused together that we're like the same person. That's called enabling someone. Because someone may actually be struggling and needs to take responsibility for their own discipleship, okay? That's called enabling. And healthy community means doing neither of those things. I sense I may have confused a couple of you. Let me pause right there. Any questions or comments about that? We bear people's burdens, but we don't enable them to not take responsibility. Any questions or comments about that? Does anybody have a thought? Have I provoked anyone or confused you? Yes, Lincoln. Uh, so it could mean you're spending time with someone it is possible that you doing that could be preventing them from owning their own discipleship. Does that make sense? So if I spend time, if someone spends time with me, 
um, because, not because necessarily they're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, but they like that they see something in your life, Lincoln. So all, I want to just spend time with you all the time because you are so patient, you're so loving, you're so good. But that doesn't actually call me to go spend time in the Word by myself. It could be that you're enabling me to not take responsibility for my own walk with Christ. So if that's an unhelpful example. Does everybody get what, 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 what we're saying here? Yeah. If you teach somebody to go to you and not to Jesus, I think you're enabling them to not actually be a Christian. <laughs> you're becoming Jesus for them. So bear one another's burdens. Each one has to bear his own load. It's both. And I want to make sure we get this. Any other questions or comments about that? That's a great comment. Yeah. Another way to say this is that you need to actually own your discipleship for yourself, and so do other people. Each of us have agency, and you can't make somebody else do anything. Yeah. Everybody good on that? Any other thoughts, questions? Let's do number three, an understanding of sowing and reaping an understanding of sowing and reaping. The imagery of sowing and reaping is explicitly talked about in verse 7 and 8. You all know what sowing and reaping is like. My children do not. Every summer, something goes down in my house, right? We go fruit picking, like peach picking or something, apple picking, whatever. They love eating fruit. So we go, let's say, peach picking, and we come back home. This goes down every summer. We come back home, and this child is eating a peach. They're like, this is the best piece of fruit I've ever had in my life. And there's peach juice, right? They're covered. And inevitably, one of them will say, I have an idea. And after they finish eating it, they'll run outside. They'll dig a little hole. They'll shove this sad juice-filled peach pit in the ground. They'll put some dirt on it. It's not even in the ground. It's mounted on top of the ground. And they'll be like, so excited for tomorrow. <laughs> they go inside. They get ready. They go to bed. They wake up in the morning, and they're devastated. Like, well, um, excitement lasted about a day. Uh, that didn't do anything, is what they usually say. Where are my peaches? <laughs> That sort of thing happens. And, you know, we coach them through that, and it's sort of cute and all that, but I, isn't that a part of maturity? What, what's happening? What's the immaturity that's being demonstrated there? The immaturity is that, well, there's a lot of things that go into fruit, dude. You can't just, like, throw a peach pit in the ground and go to bed and expect that, oh, well, tomorrow will be glory. No, a part of maturity is understanding there are a lot of things that go into growing, like soil and temperature and moisture and things that I don't understand and lots of ingredients, not the least of which one of the ingredients is patience. And a part of maturity is understanding that I find that there are a lot of Christians that act like children in this regard. Here's what I mean. A number of people think discipleship is like, you know, Instagram or Amazon, like we talked about. When it comes to ministry, not just ministry in your own life, but ministry to other people, I hear people often saying the phrase, well, that didn't do anything. I had a meeting with someone. I took initiative for their spiritual good. And you know what? It was awkward. We just sat there and we ate Chick-fil-A. So that that didn't do anything, it's the feeling of vanity. It's very, very... It's often a very, very defeating thing. Or, you ever thought this? I had a quiet time, but I don't feel any different. Like, I used to have quiet times, and I used to feel different. Or I read the Bible with a friend, I shared the gospel with my roommate, and they laughed at me, nothing happened, right? Okay, 
I think we're all familiar with that, and we're tempted to give up, and the author here is pleading with you, understand sowing and reaping. Can we just think about that for a little bit? Before you get discouraged and go down a path of discouragement, sowing and reaping is a thing, and it's a pattern that God has established in the governing of the world. I'm not saying that you only get what you deserve. That's not what Paul's intention here is. No, that's wrong. But look again at verse 8. It's saying if you sow to your flesh, it will bear fruit in your life. Do you know that? If you, people don't just wake up one morning, generally speaking, and epically commit adultery. No, it's because that that's the fruit of things like lustful glances that have been cultivated for years in their life. And that thing is going to blossom and bear fruit because God isn't mocked. However, on the other side, on the flip side, there's this thing called sowing to the spirit. It's a long-term game. And you can't measure it in a day or two or even a year. It's spending time in the word of God. It's inviting other people for Bible study. It's taking initiative. All those things, you think, well, that's kind of, yeah, what did that do? I didn't see anything right away. That's because peach trees don't grow overnight. And you think it didn't do anything. Friends, the things that you think sometimes aren't doing anything are the things sometimes that you need to persevere in because they will blossom into good. I think all the things that have produced fruit in my life, anyone could have argued that in the moment it didn't do anything. This is how it is with raising children. Usually the biggest wins are cumulative investment. This is sowing and reaping. And in my observation, many people don't just, they just don't function like that. Number four, considering our season, we make spiritual investments. So let me sort of try to land this plane here. Paul's intention is to say, with this whole analogy of trees and fruits and God working in you to bear the fruit of the Spirit and through you to help you to sow and to reap. And what, what is the whole point? This whole point is to say, no, it's not to say that you just get what you deserve. It's to say, don't give up when you feel discouraged. Don't, well, look at verse 9. Don't grow weary of doing good. Don't get tired of it. Don't give up with it. Because in due season, you'll reap if you just keep at it. So you know what discipleship is? You just keep at it. What do you keep at? Verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. What does that mean? It means you consider what season you're in. Because, you know, that's a part of fruit. You look around and say, I'm in a certain season in life. You are in the season of college, most of you. And you think about what opportunities do I have? What are the dynamics of college life and being a college student? Or maybe now you're going home for the summer and your season shifts a bit. Okay, here's what you do. You take the initiative to do spiritual good to people around you, especially Christians. You do good. And again, he's not talking about random nice things. He is talking about the word of God that restores people. He's talking about praying with and for people and listening and bearing the burdens of people and going to God in prayer. It is the patience of sowing and reaping. These things are our good. There are very ordinary things like Bible prayer and encouragement that over time, we call it discipleship, yields a huge amount of good. 
That's what we're here to get better at. That's what we're here to get better at. Any questions or comments? Let me stop there. Who has a thought? Okay, don't talk to me. Talk to the people around you. <clears throat> at the bottom of um, page 56, I put three questions there. I want you to spend a little bit of time talking to the people around you. Do you see them? I think these are interesting questions. Who are the people who have most helped you in your Christian walk? Who first explained the gospel with words to you clearly? And who do you gravitate towards spending most of your time with, a.k.a. who do you avoid? I know. It's mean. Go ahead and talk about those three questions. This is a little bit of an inventory on how you do doing good and who has done good to you. Just three minutes, and then we'll take a break before our next session. Talk to, talk to your neighbor about those three questions. I'll be back. Um, just in closing real quick, so look at this quote that I found. This is from a TED Talk speaker. This uh, lady is a very renowned columnist and TED Talk speaker. She talks about like post-pandemic world, how people are really, really scared to talk to one another. And here you are in a track which is intensely personal. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with what she says here, but listen to what she talks about. This idea of taking initiative and spiritual good. She says, in some ways, you know, it's incredibly complicated to have worthwhile conversations about things you care deeply about with people. And part of why we don't engage in conversations with people who are different is because we don't have the emotional energy. Our lives just exhaust us. We're too busy and too frustrated. It feels better to just bond with people who we know affirm us than to wade into the unknown waters of a psyche that might anger us. It takes real effort and emotional sturdiness to assume genuineness in someone you perceive as, quote, the other. It takes this resilient naivety. Now, she arrives at resilient naivety because she's not a Christian. If she had read Galatians 5 and 6, or she had been where you are, I think she would realize that, brothers and sisters, we have something better than naivety. According to the Bible, we have the spirit of the living God. That causes us to care and to move towards other people. So let me pray, and we'll talk about that in our next session. Father in heaven, would you bless our time talking about these matters? Who is equipped and able and worthy. But by your spirit, God, help us to bear fruit. Would this be a time where we are sharpened and that we grow together? Would your blessing be on us in Jesus' name, amen.